I just had a quick thing about about music beds because I was talking on Twitter earlier about how horrible they are, and then someone reminded me that we've got one when you edit the episodes. There's nothing wrong with a bit of music underneath at the beginning. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan to be honest, but it's fine. I'd rather that than have a load of music and at the beginning with no talking that you have to wait for. Then it's like the Boag World podcast. I know, they've got a minute of music. The thing is to have is to have just two, like four, like eight bars of music, so four bars of music, and then... Well, you know, you do it right. your way when you edit it. Yeah, that's fine, that's <laughs> fine. Welcome to the Creative Coding Podcast, episode 15, with me, Ian Lobb. And me, Seb Lee Delisle. Hello. Yeah, we're not live in person this time. We're back to being over the internet. Yeah. Back to the, the same old, same old. It was kind of fun being in person. It was, yeah. It was weird because I think we've never done one like that. Yeah. So we didn't really know how it should be. But Yeah. I think it, it would be nice to do one in person that wasn't in front of an audience. Mm, yeah, maybe. Yeah, we'll try yeah. that next time. Yeah. Yeah, have, I think having the audience and having guests as well, it was all a load of new stuff. Yeah, loads of new stuff. It was, I sort of felt like it was... Um, it was kind of there was so much pressure I couldn't I couldn't really think about what I was doing. Oh really? Could could you? Not really. It was good that we had interviews really, otherwise I wouldn't have thought of anything to say on it. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Probably a good job. And you know, but when we had to cut Lee Brimlow off because John turned up, that was kind of a bit yeah. weird as well. Well, I mean, we were we did give warning about that, though, didn't we? Because we said, you know, John said uh, that he's busy and you know yeah. he can do it in five minutes, so. But we we just asked Lee a really good question. I thought. Oh really? What was the question that we'd asked him? Can't remember. <laughs> someone said on someone said on Twitter that we were not nice to Lee, but. I know. What's that about? I was, I, I was all paranoid yeah, after I, I heard that. Yeah, I think we just you know we had to ask the questions that we asked. He's a very timid kind of fragile, sensitive type. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Lee can take it. And if we're giving him like low ball questions, you know, like easy ones, then. Um, is that what is that what an easy question is called? Is it a, is it a softball yeah, or a low so. ball? Yeah, I think so. One of those. I'm not too hot on my yeah. American baseball analogies, but <laughs> <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. I, I think I think Lee's come out of it okay. I think he's relatively unscathed. Yeah. I had a good flash on the beach. Oh yeah, it was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And um, yeah, it's a shame we did the podcast on the first day, so we couldn't really talk too much about kind of the cool stuff that we'd seen. Yeah. But, um, I like your project. I think that went really well. That was cool. Oh, it was. It seemed to work really well, didn't it? I was pretty pleased. There was still, um, you know, just in terms of like the synchronization, it was spot on. So I was really, really pleased. I managed to get quite a few phones connected, and then on the second, on the third day, I tried it in the dome, and I got like over two hundred phones. So that was cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I missed that second one, but I'm waiting for the video for that. Yeah, there's more information on my blog if anyone wants to check it out. Yeah, that was cool. What else did you see? Other than the ones we talked about on the last show. I don't know, it's all it's all going into it's a, blur a blur now, now, isn't it? I like the evening sessions. I like yeah. the evening sessions. I like that um the designer guy that you know the illustrator artist person. Bergman? Yeah, yeah, John Bergman is it? He was really good. He was funny. I missed him because um, I was still programming my project. Oh, were you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jessica, Jessica Hish, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah I missed her, her as well. Her session was really good. Her work is awesome as well. And she's also a very she... charismatic character and very funny. Damn it. I missed that one. They were all good. Everything I saw was pretty much good. Did you so... see Jared Ficklin? No, I didn't see it. Oh, his was I cool. Saw... Yeah, I'm kicking myself about that. Although I had to go in that session anyway, so I think I had to be in the main room. Yeah. Because I had to be able to walk out halfway and catch my train. He he had all That's these it. contraptions on stage, and he had like pressure sensors under some of the chairs, so people in the audience yeah. like triggered things when they stood up and sat down. Oh which, really? <laughs> which is really funny. And he also made this That's like insane. auto vortex array. Um, an auto vortex is a contraption that can basically blow smoke rings mm. and he had like eight little mini ones and a smoke machine <laughs> and they're all yeah i've seen the video for that actually oh yeah i think uh, i put that on my g plus didn't i yeah it's hilarious he kind of plays a tune right yeah i think he he hooked it up to like andre michelle's um you know tone matrix type thing what else did you see? I actually had to miss quite a few people, which was really upsetting. I had to miss G Monk, 
but I saw him talk in the um, in the, the Influxus lounge, and that was good. I love G Monk. I love his work. He's a really nice guy too. Um, I also saw a bit of Joel Gethin Lewis, but I had to miss most of his as well because I had to speak on a panel about hacks. Oh yeah, like they got me in on a panel about hacks, and so there was like um, <laughs> Carlo from FDT. I think he was there, and uh, Nicholas Canas the guy who invented hacks, and also um, Lee Sylvester McCoy. No, Sylvester McCoy was Doctor Who. Yeah, Lee... No, I'm sure that's his name. Sure, surely not. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's Lee Sylvester McCoy. I might have dreamt it. Hang on. It's not just Lee Sylvester or something. No, it's Lee McCoy Sylvester. <laughs> Lee Sylvester McCoy. No, it's Lee McCall yeah. Sylvester. Come on, that's pretty. Of course, of course it's Lee mistake, Sylvester right? McCoy. <laughs> well, come on, I had all the right words, I just didn't have them in the right order. And so it's not Doctor Who. Like I would argue the worst Doctor Who. That was my childhood that was my childhood Doctor Who though, so um, really? for me that oh, leaves Doctor poor, Who, yeah. Poor guy. Sorry for sorry for being born in nineteen eighty one. Anyway, we're, we're, let's not geek out about Doctor Who. So yeah, it was those three. <laughs> yeah, no, go on the subject of Doctor Who, I can't, I can't watch the latest season. I just don't get it. No. I was with them like on the first series with Matt Smith. I was like, I enjoyed yeah. it, and now it's just too weird. I don't, I don't get it at all. It's definitely not as good as the first season with Matt Smith, but it's still kind of good. It's okay. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> back to my point. <laughs> Lee McCall Sylvester. What a stupid name. Why can't he... Anyway, just pick a name. Don't have three. Why should... <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I can't really talk, can I? Um, and so uh, there were those three, and they were all, like, massively pro-hacks. Right. And I didn't really know what I was doing there, because I'm not exactly... I'm not anti-hacks at all. I just think it's cool, and I think Nicholas is really clever, and... I sort of like what they're doing, but, you know, it's a bit misleading to think that you only need to learn one language and it will work all across all the different platforms and that's all you have to do. I mean, there's so much involved with having to learn the, you know, specificity of each platform. <laughs> that was a good word. Mm -hmm. um, as well, you know, in terms of the, the environment and the display objects and all of those things, you know, that's yeah. that's that's a big part of it. And, and to me, the bit about learning a new language isn't that much of a big deal. So I guess I have a slightly different point of view. But really, I, I, I love Nicholas and even Lee is cool as well. They're, they're all cool guys. Um, so I didn't really know what I was doing on that panel when I want, really, really right. wanted to see Joel Gethin Lewis. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> unfortunate. Did you see any of the game sessions like Tom Vian? Oh, I tell you what, I feel really bad, but I, I walked out of one session. Are you going <laughs> to name like, shame? Probably... Uh, no, I won't. Shall well, I? Do you want me to? Well, let's do it. And could... if, if I come off as sounding horrible, edit it out, yeah? Okay, so well, you could just say why you walked out. It was Elliot J. Stocks with oh, Great yeah. Power Comes Great Responsibility. Oh, yeah, sure. And basically, it, it really came off as don't do anything interesting. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe what this guy's saying. I literally couldn't believe it. It was like, at one point he said, like, you know, no one needs more, you know, you should only have eight fonts on your computer or something. Just have eight good fonts and then just use those. Mm. And stuff like that. And it's just like, to me, that, that is kind of completely opposite of how I work. Yeah, but I, yeah. I mean, I have to say, uh, you know, I, I, I met Elliot a couple of times and I actually really like him. I saw his presentation as well. I didn't, I didn't get that at all. I got, I'm just trying to remember now what his presentation was about just to see if I missed something. <laughs> I mean, I think I've seen him do that session before anyway, and I might have, right. you know, I might have kind of left halfway through anyway, but I certainly think that there were some good kind of guidelines. But I think that presentation is aimed at a web design audience who, who are doing really nasty things, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but I mean, if it's, if it's true, it should just be true, shouldn't it? Like, um, you know, he was going about, like, you know, bringing up examples of, I don't know, sites with animation where they don't need animation and things like that. Yeah. And it's just like, well, my kid doesn't need it, but it's cool. So why, why did, What was his argument about it not needing animation? I can't remember, to be honest. <laughs> it's such a long time ago. We should have had this conversation last week, Ian. I know, I know, I'm so sorry. But I just remembered it, it was very much just kind of, like, yeah, just like choose good fonts and use a grid and just keep things simple. Why do you need a drop shadow? You don't need a drop shadow. You stop trying to make things look 3D. And it's just yeah. like, yeah, well, I like all that stuff. So, 
basically. In, in, you know, one of the things you're saying is like, you know, don't do like a wood panel effect or whatever on your website. But it's like, well, I like websites that look like that. So I think they're cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, I mean, I guess it's tough all that because there is like a web design community and there is a sort of current sort of style and there is stuff that was really it's just like fashion right there was some stuff that was like a couple of years old that everyone was doing and now it's out of fashion you know and and it's it's and i guess it's kind of if you want to be taken seriously by the web design community i guess you have to be up with all of that stuff right in the same way as i don't know i'm I'm, i can't think of an analogy now um but that's that's kind of the same with any anything right even flash games and stuff but what about if I um, if I put a send to a friend link on my flash game? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of a bit yeah. Of an, okay, a, they were never good I mean? either. No one ever well, did I, any I, metrics on them, and and when I, when like you finally do metrics on them, you see no one ever presses them. Oh, I'm not sure about that. I think there was one stage, probably you know nearer two thousand than now, <laughs> you know maybe oh three oh four. But I was doing work for Curb, and and they had some astonishing metrics and. You know, and that 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 send to a friend back then did actually really work, and they had some sure. massive okay, so, yeah. campaigns. Yeah, I mean, good example. But I mean, you know, he was saying like things trend, like you know, there was the Web 2.0 look where everything looked yeah. shiny and like Apple, like well, you know, Apple yeah. stuff doesn't even look like that anymore. But Apple stuff used to all look like it was made of glass and. Yeah, I thought um, it was quite interesting. Yeah, quite enjoyed that. Yeah, but it's like it's just like it was a real so what. It's like yeah, I knew that and. Also, that's just a style and that's just fashion. And that's like yeah. saying, looking back at 80s clothes and saying, oh, I can't believe we all wore 80s clothes. And it's like, well, that was what was cool then. Yeah. So don't worry about it. That's still kind of an interesting talk, I think. And, and I do think that we are quite spoiled with the sort of presentations that we're used to, you know, in, in Flash on the Beach, I guess. I guess and whatever, whatever it is now, this sort of weird community based or that used to be fashion now it's lots of things whatever that's called now that is there's a really high standard of presentations amongst that that group of people presentations that are ambitious and fun and show some cool stuff i mean like with yoa doing some crazy live coding or with jared showing like all of his apparatus and stuff you know there's sure. we're really really spoiled and if you go outside of this group into sort of more traditional web design conferences they tend to be a lot more academic you know i'm not sure if that's better or worse it's just kind of probably a little bit more serious Mm. actually i'm gonna say yeah it's not as good (laughs) i I much prefer stuff with apparatus and that are crazy ambitious (laughs) it's not that it wasn't well presented and stuff you know he he, you know elliot's a very good presenter and everything it's just that i disagreed with his points basically so and i should also say that he's he seems like a super nice guy as well. Oh, he absolutely seemed like a nice guy, yeah. And so I went and caught um, kind of the second half of John's, John Howard's session. Oh, yeah, how was that? Uh, about making games for kids. Yeah, really funny. Cool. He's always good yeah. uh, good value, isn't he? So that's John Howard. He is, yeah. Is, he's still at the BBC, isn't he? He's still at CBBC. He is, yeah. Didn't he just yeah. do Raster Mouse or something? He did something for Raster Mouse, yeah. I, didn't, I don't know what it was, though. Yeah, okay. So should we do things that you've learned or should we go on to Aris's interview? Well, let's get let's get into the interview and then we'll do things that we've learned after. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I interviewed Aras um, a few weeks ago. It was right after the Develop conference and we were in the hotel lounge. So sorry about the, the background music, some nice, easy listening music. But Aras was one of the very, very <laughs> first people yeah did you like the music in i like the music actually yeah. i think it gave it a nice tone i thought you didn't like the music bed. Well, it wasn't like a bed though it no. was like environmental so so we should just play cafe noises into the background we absolutely should play cafe noises in the background of the podcast <laughs> yeah we should that'd give it an awesome feel maybe the second half of this podcast we'll we'll put some background music background atmos <laughs> They call it an Atmos track, oh, right? right? Okay. Um, so we'll we'll give that a go. But I I can't unfortunately pronounce Aras's surname. It's like he's Lithuanian. That's it. Um, but I can't pronounce his surname. It's Prankevicius, maybe. But anyway, <laughs> he was super nice, and um, he was right at the very, one of the very first people behind Unity. He was one of the very first team members, and so I talked to him about um the beginnings of unity and also you know where it's going uh, with the flash uh, what do they call it unity to flash exporter uh, and also the possibility of a, a webgl exporter so here he is 
Perhaps you could just um, tell me how you got uh, you got your job at Unity. Well, uh, well, <laughs> that, that was actually a, a very improbable story. Uh, what actually happened is that I got an email from David, who was the CEO. Oh yeah, David Helgeson. Yeah, and well, well basically <laughs> that's it. And, and when was this? Have you been there long? Th- so that was 2005. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm just trying to think what sort of stage was Unity at so back then. So basically Unity 1.0 launched in summer 2005, and it was Mac only, Yeah. PowerPC Mac only, because Intel Macs didn't exist. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, and it pretty much didn't have any Windows support, like at all. Uh, and we had like, well, well, they had like, I don't know, like 50 customers, yeah. 30, 20, sure. uh, so something. So right like. at the very start. Right? Yeah, yeah, you were yeah. right in there. Well, so, so basically, I joined when they already released like a couple of point versions. Like mm. it was like Unity 1.2 or something. Yeah. Uh, but 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 when I joined, it was basically David, the CEO, and Joachim, the, the CTO. And the, the, the third founder, Nicholas, was away temporarily because uh, he needed money to, to like for groceries and stuff. <laughs> so he had to get a job. Yeah. <laughs> uh, We've all been there, right, with that startup thing. Yeah, it's cool. So, what, so you were one of the were you one of the first coders there then? Well, well, so, so basically they worked on Unity for like a number of years before they they actually launched. Mm. So a lot of code was written by Joachim and, and by Nicholas and yeah. even by David. Uh, but I've been there like for a long time. And and so what was your what was the first part of it that you worked on? I started working on the Windows web plugin. Right. Uh, and so there was already a Mac plugin at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. So they had a Mac Mac web plugin, and but no Windows one. And uh, so I started on the Windows one, and I didn't really know much about Windows. Well, like, <laughs> well, I, I knew more than they did. <laughs> right. But sure. like, like I knew how to use like Visual Studio. Yeah, yeah. Where, where's Joachim? Like, he was didn't. more of a Mac guy, right? Yeah, well, all of them were. Mac yeah, guys. yeah, sure. Uh, Which is probably part of the reason why it's quite usable, right? If you, I think if you're used to using Macs and you're used to that yeah, sort yeah, of yeah, I guess this seamless workflow. Yeah, there's some sort of I don't know, like mentality of like mm. uh, Mac users that is like really. I don't think we'll start a platform war by saying that. I think that's okay. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I never used Macs before joining Unity. Mm. I've never... Were you on, what were you on before that? On Windows? Windows. Yeah. Uh, I, I was, like, for, for a year or two, I was, like, a Linux user. Yeah. But that was, like, ten years ago. It was just a phase. It was, <laughs> it was a phase when I had a PC that was uh, uh, not powerful enough to run Windows. It was by necessity, because your computer couldn't run Windows. You're working on the on the web player for Windows, and you know, right from I mean, 2005 this was, right? This was like well, I joined like ago. so. I joined in the beginning of 2006. Yeah, six. Okay, so five years ago. Yeah. And you had a plugin on Windows and Mac that could perform like hardware accelerated yeah. GPU. I mean, you know, GPU accelerated graphics. Now, I'm really interested by this because for years and years, Adobe have been saying, "Oh, it's too hard to put GPU graphics in a plugin." That's why oh. we're not doing it in Flash. And then you guys seem to come along and just like go, yeah, there you go, we've done it. And I'm sure that I'm sure it must have been really difficult, right? Well, but I just want to get some idea. Of, was that really difficult? I mean, the, the, there's there's two sides of this. Uh-huh. Getting like technically getting a sort of 3D in the browser when you do when you have your own plugin is not hard, right? I mean, there's not much difference between, like, I don't know, like a standalone Windows application and, and, and the pro- plugin. Right. Okay. It's a lot of that is like the same code. Now, the hard part is uh, ensuring it works and it works around all the possible driver bugs and it doesn't easily crash your machine and uh, like. Well, like the driver stability is improving a lot. Like right now, it's like a lot better than it used to be like four years ago. But back then, it was like like. Like the GPU supports some feature, but once you try to using it, the driver crashes or something. So that is actually the hard part. And Adobe is right in a sense that you have to spend like significant efforts working around broken stuff, basically. But you guys managed it, right? So was that just because you worked harder, you were better, you were more dedicated, you were, you know... How come you managed to get it working and, and everyone else blocked out? Well, it's, it's not like everyone else... Like, Adobe had, like, a shockwave, right? Yeah, that's true. So it's not like... 
this is something that that winds me up, right? Because I've wanted hardware acceleration in Flash, well, five years, right? Yeah. And now they've suddenly started working on it. Yeah, but but, but I mean, like, I, I just don't buy, like, like, I just don't buy that, like, it's super hard to make hardware acceleration in the plugin when the same company has had has that already for like done 10 it. years. <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's kind of... Well, you know, they're on it now at last with Molehill. Let's talk about Unity some more. So um, so it's getting pretty mature now, isn't it? I mean, I'm assuming it's um, you guys are doing well. I see you've just got some more funding, right? Yeah. I guess. Well, well so I've heard. Like, I've been on vacation. Oh, I see. And so this funding round happened was like, oh. <laughs> so like, I, I saw it basically on Gamasutra. <laughs> <laughs> And, and how big is the team now? You mentioned you're in Lithuania with a team, and presumably yeah. there's people in Copenhagen and San yes. Francisco. And I heard well, they were coming to Brighton as well. Yeah, so we had like, we have like 15 people in Brighton, but but it's mostly a support team that is in Brighton right now at least. Uh, but but like recently, a lot of studios in Brighton have been closing down, so that there's like a, like a influx of like talent that has nothing to do basically. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see. Maybe we'll like have develop. Team but at the moment, it's just support. It's just support and and some some QA and like documentation writers are here. So the whole team at Unity is like over 120 now. But a lot of that is actually like 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 we have like a dedicated sales team that's like 20 people or something that that basically like a lot of our sales are like just like people buying it on the web. But then you need like dedicated guys to go to like companies like whoever like EA or, or someone. Like someone big, basically. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so. I do hear that people. I think it was. Um, I can't remember now. Is it Black Rock in Brighton? I think they they've started using it now. And um, well, you know, whereas they used to just pick it up to make prototypes with. At some point, they realised that actually they could just make production games with it as well. Uh, I'm not sure whether it was. Well, Black Rock is no more. They closed like two two weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been away for three months. This yeah. Is, in the big like console developers. What we see is that, like, obviously they're kind of like scared of Unity because, like, we have no track record of like console games. Uh, whereas compared to some someone like Unreal, they have like a shitload of shipped console titles. So uh, what we see a lot is that they start prototyping games in Unity because it's just so fast at proto prototyping. And then they have this question of like, we have this prototype built, should we switch to like some other engine or like internal technology that they have, or should they try just sort of keep on using Unity? And since a lot of them are console guys, they're sort of waiting for actual games to ship before the floodgates are open and like they have like confidence. Well, it's not like it's our focus. So we have like, I don't know, like two guys per console making this console specific optimizations and stuff like that. Uh, but I mean, it's probably safe to say that our focus is mobile and the web because consoles are, are a big business, but personally, I don't see much growth in there. It, it becomes financially viable, right? To make one of these casual games in Unity, and there's never really been anything where that has simplified that process so much. Well, 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 to some extent, like Flash has been able to do that. Of course, the Flash packaging for iOS is getting better, and as I, is I, 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 like you're talking about mobile now. Yeah, yeah. Well, so on mobile, yeah, I, like it's actually very strange because. That I just don't see a lot of middleware for, for mobile. Yeah. Like like there's Unity and there are some some sort of more like coder oriented engines like like Cocos 2D or something. Mm -hmm. uh, there's not like 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 the whole tool chain. I remember we were like very scared that we weren't able to launch Unity for for iOS back when like like on day one. Yeah. Sort of. So when the native SDK was announced by Apple, we we then sort of on the same day decided to make Unity for that, and we thought of, oh, it's going to be like two months and we are done. And of course, like eight months later, yeah. we actually shipped. Yeah. And we all that time we were really scared that like we'll be late to the platform. Basically, that's where were you? You're the kind of one of the few that yeah. actually made it. I, mean, I can only think of like Corona and maybe Flash. I guess there must be some others. I don't know, like, uh, I just remember that we were like totally scared that, that it's taking us eight months to launch and someone else will basically go in, in like four months and just grab all the developers out there. But it, it just never happened, and like it's, it's only it's the only accessible three D middleware for iOS. I guess there's Unreal as well, right? But that's yeah. Are they well, your main competitors? Do you think in that space? I, I'm I'm not really sure. 
a lot of 2D games are made for mobile with Unity, and like, like it's all the way from the simplest games to like to, to the games which try to push the hardware. Whereas with Unreal, I think the focus is only on pushing the hardware front. Like, like you see, like Infinity Blade, and that's like that's what all Unreal games are supposed to be like that. Uh, whereas I don't know, like like would someone make like Zombieville or or Battle Heart or or Bumpy Road with Unreal? I don't know, probably not. <laughs> so so mobile's one thing, and then there's also the um, the website. And you know, I think it's probably fair to say that I mean, I think the web plugin that you made is amazing. Um, but unlike the Flash plugin, it hasn't really got the same sort of traction in terms yeah. of penetration rates, right? Um, I know some people don't let that worry them too much, but I think for commercial products, it is kind of an issue. So, is so so now, of course, you're you're going to be targeting Molehill for Flash yeah. player. Does that mean that you're still going to be working on your own plugin? Yes, absolutely. Because well, well, frankly, Molehill is is a lot limited. Like it, it, there's like a ton of features that it just doesn't have, at least in the initial version. So I mean, if you look like at like what Big Point is doing with our plugin, or like what what the the like Marvel superhero squad, I mean, like these games are just not possible with Molehill. Why not? Because for some reason, at least for the the initial Molehill version, Adobe went with the lowest common denominator feature set, basically. So like like. Uh, this is the features that we have, and we have nothing more. Whereas with Unity, we we, we sort of we we don't go to like the the highest end, like DirectX 11 stuff. But but like if the GPU can support shadows, then you can use shadows in Unity. Whereas it's not really possible to have like real-time shadow maps with Molehill at at like decent speed. So it's kind of like progressive enhancement, right? You sniff for the features and then use them when they when you find them. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of the opposite from Flash, where it's just said, well, we're only going to put it in if everyone supports it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and like Adobe's like philosophy seems to be that uh, like with Flash, it runs the same everywhere, it, whether that's like at least in terms of features. In terms of performance, of course, you can't expect your game, to, your like mobile game, to run the same on like high-end PC versus uh, I don't know iPhone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Sure. So of course, the question that everyone's asking. Is are you going to support WebGL? Uh, and and you uh, hinted at it in your presentation, didn't you? Because it was actually on your I list. didn't. No, <laughs> well no, there was uh, a list of things. Was, and and uh, th that was a list of things I would be talking about in this presentation, <laughs> which doesn't mean that Unity is a uh, Stop uh, teasing us. Uh, <laughs> you know we want it. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I definitely won't say that we won't support yeah, yeah, sure. WebGL. Yeah. Uh, would it be a similar process um, in terms of what it could support uh, as Molehill, or does WebGL offer more or less features than um, that? I think in terms of features, it, it, it does support more than Molehill, actually. It's probably not going to be as like stable in terms of, like, a, like a Molehill will have like software rasterizer fallback, whereas WebGL, you either get it or you don't. Um, so we'll probably need some time before like WebGL is like stable enough. Like like even to, like today, for example, WebGL ships in in Chrome and in Firefox, but you never know whether you'll actually get it or not, depending on what the GPU is and the user's machine and so on. Uh, but in terms of features, uh, it definitely does support more than than Molehill than the initial version of Molehill will. So WebGL is not actually the roadblock for us, like to do to do potential Unity ports. We are more concerned about the JavaScript because, like, with Flash, you basically get the same virtual machine for ActionScript everywhere. So you pretty much know that the ActionScript code is going to run at like comparable speed. Whereas with JavaScript, that's very much not the case. Sure. I mean, in most modern browsers, it seems to be kind of running pretty well, though, doesn't it? JavaScript. The sort of browsers that are likely to run WebGL seem to be able to execute uh, JavaScript pretty damn fast. Yeah, I mean, that is true, but there's still, like, some differences in... Uh, and also, like, like Flash has, like, bytecode for all your code, whereas with JavaScript, there's no bytecode. So, so, like, 
like what we would be concerned about, like what is the loading time to load the entire Unity engine? Basically, that's like well, I don't know. It would be like ten megabyte of JavaScript source code, you know, or, or whatever. Would be yeah. the number. So, I see. Uh, and I guess that would be kind of the same in Flash, right? Well, Flash doesn't give you uh, much. Well, in Flash, at least it's already like pre-compiled bytecode, so yeah. at least it, it's so you a bit think faster. It might be a to bit smaller in size and smaller and faster to yeah. load. And and so I mean I guess also the fact that we, you've got alchemy sort of helps. Let's just say that that we started with with doing some parts in alchemy. Whether the final Unity for Flash will ship uh, will end up using alchemy, that is still an open question. Okay. But I mean that's like implementation detail that that basically. It's, it doesn't matter. You still yeah. can do it either way. Yeah. So. Yeah. And and is there any sort of timeline on that? You know, is it going to take you months, years, weeks? I'm hoping for months. Yeah. Well, well, if you say yes, that's still some amount of months, right? <laughs> <laughs> We're trying uh, as hard as possible to to ship Unity for Flash towards end of this year as well. Whether that we make it or not, I don't know. Sure. But but basically, we we have like a dedicated team, uh, which. Uh, do you know, like, Ralph Howard just joined Unity? Yeah, and, I know Ralph and, like, really well. He knows Flash. He does know Flash. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and that helps a lot. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you did a really good job there getting Ralph in. I can't think of anyone better to really do that kind of highly specialised work. So, so how are you, um, you know, what, what you started off on the web plugin, but then what happened? What did you, did you move on? You're saying you worked on the mobile side now, is that right? Uh, not really. So, so, like, right now I'm sort of, uh, uh, I've been spending time in like graphics rendering side, uh, so I started on the web plugin, but but then uh, then I moved more and more into graphics. And so you just specialize in like making the graphics that are really awesome now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could like try listing all the like bullet points. So like like we have like deferred rendering and like. Uh, by now we have like pretty much like super optimized shadows and we have fancy post-processing effects on like depth of field. What we've been actually spending a lot of time on is, is not like these fancy fancy like like bullet point features, but like for example, a lot of time was spent on making sure that when you write your own shaders, that you write the shader once that it, it will run on the PC, on the Mac, on your iPhone, on your 360, and and so on. And that's not like trivial to do because all these platforms like use different shader languages so we have to like develop almost like shader compilers our, ourselves uh, that's just insane i mean that sounds incredibly complicated it, it is in a way or, or at least it, it did require a lot of time uh, but it's not like some bullet point feature that we can like like oh we have our own shader like cross compilers because like no one would understand what it is anyway. <laughs> it's not going to go in your brochure, is it? No. <laughs> but still, it's one of those extremely important details, which yeah. I, can't, I can only imagine must have been quite difficult to yeah. get running. Yeah, or, 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 like, or like, like, like on the graphic side, like, like optimizing, optimizing our shaders, optimizing our rendering codes, for the mobile especially, because like, like if you have an iPad 1, you, like you better not waste the GPU time on, on anything that's not essential, or like your, your shaders better be optimized for that, it, you can afford only so little per pixel work. How, how did you get into all this in the first place, into graphical programming? Well, I, I've been like doing graphics as a, as a, my hobby, like for for like since last millennium. <laughs> uh, 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 true story. <laughs> since the last millennium, that was only eleven years ago. Well, this is so like in my case that was like fifteen or sixteen years yeah, ago, sure. but that's quite uh, a while. Yes, uh, it started as a hobby. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I was in high school uh, at the time or something, so I was doing like like, uh, and then I got a, a bit into like demo scene stuff, uh, and then like little like toy engines at home, which never went anywhere. But three anyway. D engines, I guess. Yeah. 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 And how did you learn that stuff? Did you just teach yourself? Well, when I started, the internet pretty much didn't exist. Like, like in, like, like. Did you have to get like books and stuff? <laughs> like an actual book with paper and stuff. Oh well, uh, no way. In some well, in some cases, I still do like, these days. But uh, or, or at least like I'm from like Eastern Europe, so like every everything was like delayed by by some number of years. Uh, uh, there, so but but when I started, like I remember being like in high school, and of course I I, I never had like internet at my home back then. Uh, so we would like go to high schools like computers 
which had internet, and we would like FTP to some like server in Sweden that had like like folders with like text files about how to do like perspective correct like a texture mapping or whatever. I'm sure you would know some of that from like paper vision. Yeah. But so so the like Google didn't exist like that. Yeah. So like the internet was like some FTP server with like a bunch of text files in there, which was quite quite awesome in a way. Yeah. Like, I guess that was like the first time that sort of information was getting spread around freely, right? Yeah. So that helped. And what what inspired you? You know, were you inspired by the demo scene? Was it just a question of doing something really cool to show your peers? Was there anything else behind well, it? Well, yeah. Well, actually, a demo scene was a lot of inspiration because uh, I mean, like, like in '96 or whatever, you had like these like seven thousand gouache-aided polys, uh, uh, yeah. which was awesome. Yeah. Uh, or, also, a lot of inspiration was like 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 Doom Two or something that was like mind blowing at the time. Yeah, so funny. You know, I find the demo scene is it's quite abstract, isn't it? The demos are pretty abstract. They're not really. They don't really have an actual purpose. You know, no. apart from just to inspire and to, to share with your community, like well, how you, cool you are. Well, you could say it's like an art form. It right? is. I think yeah. it is an art form, really. But but what I like in your case is that you actually took all of that and actually took those skills and put them into an actual product. No, uh, well, I think the demo scene has been a, a, an inspiration for a lot of developers across Europe. For some reason, it never took off in the States. Maybe because time is money there, and like demo scene requires a lot of time, and zero money uh, is produced. But <laughs> that's really interesting. Do you think that's something about the culture of Europe that that lends itself to to these demos? And you mentioned already that perhaps America just uh, 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 I, I, more I focused think, on career. Well, well, if you if you look at it, a lot of demo scene happened in like Scandinavian countries, and those are like almost kind of socialism. I mean, you you and can, quite cold. Probably don't go out much. That, that is true, but but you could. <laughs> say the same should happen in Canada yeah, as well. Yeah. So, but if you look at it, like in at least in Scandinavia, there's not a lot of pressure for you to go there and make a career immediately after you finish high school. You can actually afford of basically experimenting and like sort of, there's not so much pressure about making money. So I lived in, in Denmark for a couple of years when I started at Unity and I was amazed about like how many how many sort of small like startups are there in a sense because we rented an office in university and the whole floor of university was like filled with like tiny like two-person companies and like 99% of, of them had like no chance about being successful sort of like zero chance but the <laughs> people still doing it anyway yeah I mean there's, there's like the cost of failure is, is like almost zero I mean Sort of the worst that can happen is that if you fail, you get like some unemployment money, yeah, so which is kind of enough for your groceries. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So what's happening? What's coming next in Unity? What are you excited about? Oh, day to day, in like day to day work, it's hard to, to get like super excited about anything. Else. I mean, one day is similar to the other day. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just another day of programming this awesome 3D engine. No, it's actually very, like, very, like, like day-to-day is, is, like, very fun. Like, like, each day I look forward to, like, to going to work. So I've been, like, on vacation for the last two weeks, and I'm, uh, I, I want to actually get into the office, like, next week. <laughs> like, it's very interesting to see what will end up with, with our Flash product and where that will go. And coming back to, like, WebGL question... Uh, I was very positively surprised that WebGL shipped in, in a sense before Flash did, because that's not that happens very often. Like, like Flash is made by a single company. They should be able to move much faster than a like standard committee, but they didn't in this case, which was very surprising. And, uh, and like I think at this point it makes more sense for us to target Flash because it will be more stable and it will cover Internet Explorer as well. But maybe in a year or so we will we'll see that like it makes sense for us to do WebGL. So. For the first time ever, we're seeing Chrome's uh, you know take up rate rising and Explorer's going down. Right? I well, mean they're still very far apart, but the the trend is is going that way. And I'm just wondering well, if. Well, well. Well, I mean, it started before Chrome. I mean, it started yeah. with Firefox, basically, sure. right? Because, I mean, Explorer was like 95% or whatever, right? And now it's like, depending where you look, 
it's, it's like in Europe, it's probably less than 50%. Say there was some real kick-ass WebGL project. You're going to have a message in Explorer saying you can't run it without Chrome. So you have to install Chrome or Chrome Frame. I mean, how is that different, really, from having to install a plugin? It's, it's, it's not that different, actually. And I, uh, and I think a lot of people have more confidence in Google than some random web plugin. Of course, it's not super famous. And uh, I mean, we, we can say all the, uh, like, all we want that, like, it, there's, like, zero spyware, there's zero whatever processes running in the background. And that is actually true, but, I mean, it's still, I mean... It's hard to prove that, isn't yeah. it? And I guess, actually, that sort of brings me to the sort of native plugin architecture of Chrome. Aren't you, like, one of the first plugins to actually support that whole well, thing? They call it native plugin. Right? Like native like, client. Native client, that's yeah. right, yeah. So it's not like we support it right now. Like we don't ship it yet. We're basically waiting, like, like this native clients, like API and stuff, that's still in flux and that's still not enabled in Chrome by default. We expect they would ship it like towards end of this year, enabled by default in the, in the stable version of Chrome uh, or like late next year uh, or something. Uh, and that is something that I'm really looking forward to because maintaining your own web plugin is a, like a huge pain in the ass. Uh, so they no. look after some of the sort of security implications and things like that, right? They sort of sandbox yeah. the plugin a little bit. There's like a lot of sandboxing. Basically, they, they prove that native code won't harm your computer, right? which is basically the only issue with native code on the web, that it can't possibly install a virus or whatever, mm. or format your hard drive or something. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, but I mean, so like right now it's Chrome only, and from talking with Mozilla guys, it looks like they believe that like JavaScript is going to be enough for everyone. So, so they're Which, not really focusing on plugins. No, and that's actually like I don't really believe that like like this sort of like JavaScript is like a nice language and the, the virtual machines are improving a lot. But I mean, no one should be forced into a single language ever. That's my take, at least. Because, I mean, JavaScript is, is really nice for a lot of things, but it's just not suitable for, like, high-performance native code. And if, even if you, like, take, like, performance out of the equation, saying, like, well, like, mobile platforms will get more and more performance, but, I mean, you'd still end up burning uh, burning more energy to do the same thing in JavaScript. So, basically, it would affect your battery life negatively compared to, like, native applications. So. Interesting, yeah. I mean, I am astonished just that... The, the, what JavaScript can do now, right? When uh, when you think about what it is, you know, it's pretty loose typed language. The fact that it runs so fast just blows my mind, really. Well, I mean, there's... Well, uh, what, what actually amazes me the most is that... So, basically, JavaScript started out as this as this sort of toy language for, like, for uh, scrolling something in your browser, right? Uh, like, you would have, like... Like basically a scrolling text, right? <laughs> yeah. And that was like 94 or something, or 95. And the fact that, it, like, if you look beyond that, there's like very nice little language like behind it that no one discovered until like Gmail, right? And now it's like all over the place. That that's kind of like, and even almost without any changes to the language over like 15 years, that's kind of amazing. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So I'll wrap it up. That's been brilliant. So thank you so much. Okay. Thank yeah. You. Um, it's really nice to kind of hear the, you know, the people behind these projects. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because you, you just picture the kind of these faceless organisations or whatever, but actually there's just programmers somewhere yeah. kind of inventing the stuff. It's nice that it seemed like such a small project to start with, but clearly with some very talented people behind it. Yeah, yeah. That were all engineers, you know, they're all like people that can make stuff. Sure, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you saw there was a video about Molehill, um, kind of kicking about on Google+. It was just a kind of documentary about the Molehill project and like talking to um, kind of the engineers and stuff. Oh, I don't think I did see that. Oh, it's worth a watch because Molehill seems to have been the idea of one person, really, just one engineer who was on the Flash player and kind of just implemented it without telling anyone. Was it that Sebastian guy? Um, maybe. <laughs> we'll dig it out. Put a, link. A, Europe a European guy of some kind. Yeah. And, yeah, he just kind of implemented it and then showed it to him. And it's like, yeah, this is, this is hardware 3D. <laughs> and, yeah. So, you know, it's, I mean, impossibly intelligent, these people, though. That's the thing. Yeah. Way, it's way beyond, like, actually just making games with the technology. Actually, you know, yeah. actually make the technologies. They're like serious, proper engineers, aren't they? 
They're not like they us, are. just like messing around with scripts. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. They're actual engineers. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've noticed that some Flash programmers are getting the job title engineer now, but I don't even think it's possible to be an engineer in ActionScript, really. <laughs> well, you know, I think, I, why not? I think if you make stuff with code, then you're an engineer, surely. Could you be a JavaScript engineer? Yeah, why not? Insane. I'm going to be a JavaScript engineer. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that sounds like you engineered the JavaScript language or JavaScript compilers or something. That's very true. Even if you said you were an ActionScript engineer or a Flash engineer, I'd probably mean, oh, what, you work on the Flash player? Okay, well, semantics aside, um, I, do you want to do... Oh, we got a, a comment from our last podcast. Did you see that? Uh, no. Did I? What, what was it? It was kind of a bit of... I, I didn't really know how to respond to it because it was kind of like a, 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 a vehemently pro-Flash anti-HTML post. <laughs> And I was just kind of like, oh, really? Again? Are we still doing this? <laughs> Do you know which... Did it go with episode 14 or 13? Episode 14. And um, I, I was about to... In fact, I did write a reply, but for some reason it didn't go on. But my reply was just kind of like, are we still really talking about this? Okay, well, maybe we'll, I'll address it in the podcast. But now I think I might be a bit too tired for this argument right now, seeing as we've already <laughs> had it about, like, 50 times, right? Yeah, I don't think we need to do it again on the... Yeah, let's just point him at our old podcasts where we discuss this yeah. ad infinitum. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to have yeah. a, a things that you have learned today, our, our semi-regular feature. Yeah, play the jingle. Things that Ian has learned. Um, okay, so the next thing that I've learned is um, get in on the ground floor. And so by that, I mean kind of if you see something interesting happening in maybe a new technology or something like that, be one of the first people to do something with it. And yeah. you'll always be remembered as like, the, you know, the guy for this technology or girl. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really good advice. And the thing that, that always shocks me is that you don't have to be that quick off the draw either, either do you? No, um, I mean, you can come to it, you know, a, a year later sometimes. And if you just put the effort in, you can, you know, become uh, known for that thing. It's kind of like what Aras was saying as well, that, um, you know, they thought they were really late to make that iPhone packager for, for Unity. And they thought that there'd be tons of, of uh, com- competitors. But of course, there, there were very few, if any. And, and they're still yeah. not really, right? Nothing quite like that. No. And it sort of reminds no. me too of, um, you know, when I started messing around with Canvas, I don't even really know how long ago it was. It wasn't that long ago, maybe a couple of years ago. And even then I felt like I was I was pretty slow to that party because, you know, people have been messing around with it for a good six months or a year before that. And and yet still there are people now who are, who are only just starting to get to play with it. You know, I guess that's people that come on my course. So that's yeah. good. I mean, you just don't, you always feel like, oh, well, I've missed that. But actually you usually haven't. You know, Unity 3D definitely was something that I was like, oh, yeah, no, get get in on this one. And for some people it's worked out, but, you know, I was expecting like Flash developers to like quit Flash in droves and become Unity 3D developers because yeah. lots of people were trying it out. Yeah. But then it's just like the, the work never appeared, I guess. Like if you're used to doing client work and getting contracts, mm. you know, the, the Unity 3, 3D contracts never appeared. So. Do you think? I mean, I think that there are, there is, I mean, the people that I know that specialize in Unity are getting plenty of work, you know, so I think. I mean, just look at Carlos Uyoe. I mean, he's he's constantly busy. Um, and also Infrared 5 in Boston, you know, another specialist. And they're super busy all the time as well. So I think if you specialise in it, it's, it's you're going to hate me saying it, but it's a niche, right? It's a small yeah. niche yeah. with, with uh, some demand and yeah. few people providing quality services. So. Yeah, I think that's the thing. And that's where your kind of like personal marketing and stuff needs to come in and like, yeah. you know, being you have to be really known for it i guess so that people can find you because otherwise how do they find you yeah and and although unity 3d is really easy and fun and you know i love it but there is a a significant difference in the skill set required to make a 3d game that looks cool yeah uh, and making like a 2d flash game uh, you know once once you realize in unity that you can kind of program a game without programming it then all yeah. it's left to do is make some decent models and textures yeah. and stuff yeah and I mean, at that point you go oh, the, gu- sh- the guys that come to kind of extended play and show our little meetup in plymouth and show um unity work 
the, the most impressive ones are the guys who are like level designers or concept artists or, you know, designers because they have these amazing levels that, you know, they just dropped in the, the first person controller and you just walk around them. Yeah. But they look amazing. It's like, you know, these amazing environments and Yeah. It's easier for an artist to like blow you away with a Unity demo than a programmer because it's you know, to make stuff that looks great you need to be a good three D artist really or have a good three D <laughs> artist on your team. Yeah, totally. Yeah, cool. Okay, have you got another thing that you learned today? Um, yeah, just let's just one? do one more because it's kind of the opposite of that one, which okay. is um it's never too late and you're never too old. Yeah. So it's like even if you aren't even if you aren't the first person in, we kind of covered this already, but yeah. even if you aren't the first person in, just do it anyway. Yeah. And because, you know, you're not you're never too old for this stuff at all. Yeah, and, and doing it is always better than not doing it, right? Yeah. Like so I re- I really he- thought like that, you know, if you were like a programmer, this is so so if you go back to when I was like say twenty at university, I thought, well, if you're a programmer you maybe have like a 20-year career as a programmer until you're, like, 40 or 45 or something. Yeah. And then you get into some kind of management thing. Or you do, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Or you're, like, yeah. you're sat behind a desk with a leather chair and just, like, you know, doing some kind of business thing or something. But actually, it's, like, if you want to carry on programming, just do it. Yeah, that's cool. I think you and I clearly know what sort of thing we're talking about here. But maybe it'd be good just to specify that a little bit. You know, we're saying do it. It's never too late to do it. You got to do it. And but what right. are we talking about exactly? I guess making stuff. I guess like yeah. being a being a maker of things, right? Doing, yeah. look, having your own ideas for projects, actually launching them, um, making things yourself, learning new technologies. E- even if you've like never programmed anything, or you haven't, you know, you've done PHP for twenty years, but you want to be a games developer or whatever. Just, just do it. Just do it. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> it's like. You know, excellent advice there's absolutely nothing stopping you and this stuff you know it's surprisingly easy to learn new things when you actually try yeah absolutely bit yeah. of tenacity cool alright so well should we wrap it up then because I know you've got little amount of time today yeah okay um, I just need to plug my USA tour cool so I'm taking the creative JavaScript workshop on tour to America and I'm going to do two workshops in New York. One of them's already sold out, so I put an extra one on. And then I'm going to DC, Pittsburgh. And while I'm there, I'm going to be going to the Art and Code Conference. And then I'm doing Philadelphia. And then I'm coming home. But next week, before that, I nearly forgot, I'm doing um, the Frontiers Conference in Amsterdam. <laughs> I've got a bit of a, a busy week, basically. Cool. Um, but there are still some tickets left for DC, Pittsburgh and Philly and the new New York date, just a, a few. Yeah. And for the Frontiers Conference or not? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I think there's probably tickets available. We'll stick a link. We'll stick links up. Cool. Well, good luck with that. And thanks. Um, see you next time. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.